Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration and Publication, Episode 43, Friend or Foe. Today, we are joined by Chrissy Faggart, the founder and inventor at EAP Toys and Games that designed The Battle of You Knows Who... The Lunchroom, and her first game, Friend or Foe, which was published by Goliath Games. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Danielle. I'm happy to be here. Of course. And so for everybody listening, Chrissy is more on the or, uh, the mass market side. So we're going to be calling her an inventor versus a designer. But for anyone who doesn't know you or your story, would you mind talking about how you got into the industry? Sure. Um, it was a happy accident, of course. I Back in 2016, um, three of my friends and I, who grew up together, but of course went our separate ways after college, got together in Texas where one of our friends lived. And we're going out to dinner and one of the girls said, hey, let's play a game. I just made it up. And she said, I call it friend or foe. So there we sat in this like little hole in the wall Mexican restaurant for about five hours playing this game, basically just asking each other's questions back and forth. And by the end of the night, we're like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. We want everyone to play this. And the next morning we got up and I thought, you know, I I still think it's a good idea. I think we should pursue this. We all went back our separate ways. None of us were in the industry and we lived in four different states and we would just connect on the phone. And it took us two years to basically finally go from concept to seeing final product. Oh, wow. So you all just, how many of you were there? There's four of us. And are you all uh, co-designers then on this game? Yep. So friend or foe, we're all four co-designers on this game. Um, We all took different roles in the position. Some had more time to put into it and some um, could only give so much of their time because we all, you know, had careers. Uh, One of them was in school. Three of us were moms. And so we had a lot of moving parts. I took uh, the most ownership in the situation because I was able to, um, but they were integral in everything from question questions to rules to design. It was just a matter of who could afford what time at that moment. I feel like that's one of the reasons I enjoy working with co-designers is you can kind of split up the tasks and it makes it a little bit easier. Also at playtesting, it's nice having multiple people looking at it with different groups of people at the same time. Oh my gosh, for sure. And we were, because we lived in four different states, we all had our lives together. And of course we had people we knew the same, but when we lived in different states and you have your new friend groups, it just really spread our playtesting and different um, groups of people and ages and cultures. So it was really helpful in that process. So for anyone who's never played friend or foe, would you mind explaining how the game gets played? Yeah. So friend or foe is a game of ridiculously revealing questions and they are broken up into five rounds. Round one is a little bit more lighthearted, silly, but by the time you get up to round five, they get a little bit more interpersonal and more risque. So think of it as like you're on a first date. On a first date, typically you don't jump into questions that are more personal. Um, You start with like, so do you like summer or winter or do you, you know, lakes or mountains? This looks like such a boring first date. How is the weather? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Exactly. But, you know, as the evening goes on, if you're, you know, talking more, you're comfortable. If there's drinks involved, maybe by the end of the night, you're really exploring, you know, different topics. Well, that's how we took this like situation for a game night. So a group of friends are sitting down, start with that round one, but by the time you get to round three, or if you've had a, you know, a beer or a couple of glasses of wine, you know, you feel more comfortable and you're kind of wanting the questions that are a little bit deeper. So it kind of gave people an opportunity to talk about things that maybe they wouldn't talk about, or they want to talk about, or, um, you know, wouldn't even think to bring up. So we really were like, okay, when we first designed the game, it was just a pile of questions and you just didn't know what you were going to get. So you could get one of those easy questions or you could draw a question that was like completely just, you know, make somebody like, ah. Yeah. Like a little cringe if you don't know the person or feel comfortable. Exactly. So what we figured was like, okay, or we kept finding patterns or someone would always get the, you know, dirty questions or vice versa. 
So then we thought maybe we should layer this out and kind of build on that anticipation. And then really what we found is as people were playing, we were like, yes, this is definitely what people wanted because it gave you an opportunity to kind of see, you know, are you comfortable with these people? You don't have to answer the questions. You can definitely skip, but we don't find a lot of people skipping. In fact, people are like wanting to get to that more three, four, five range. Um, so it was just like a perfect way to do, you know, a twist on a traditional question social party game. Oh, for sure. So like in your game, is there a winner or is it more just so like you're getting to know each other on the journey and that's like the winning of the game? So that's kind of the beauty of friend or foe. So it's, we say it's a game for people who say they don't like to play games because when you're playing it, you don't really feel like you're playing a game. You do feel like it's more like you're asking a question and people have to answer, but there is a scoring system for our friends who are competitive because the gameplay mechanics are the easiest they could be, right? So you get a question right, you get a point. By the end of the game, everyone looks at their score sheet and is like, oh my gosh, I knew the most out of everyone here. Oh, I knew Danielle better than her mom knew Danielle, you know? So each play could be different because it just happened to be on those five questions that you asked. But so it caters to the people that don't really enjoy kind of that competitive nature, but then it also caters to people who do want a winner at the end of the game. Okay. So when a question's being asked, is everyone answering the same question? Or are you asking of just one person? So when you draw around one question, I would read the question, do I prefer summer or winter? Everyone else has to answer that question for me, which is also a significant difference between a lot of the question games that are out there, because a lot of them, you ask a question and everyone has to answer, or there's a judging mechanic where everyone writes an answer and you have to pick the one you like best. We were like, nope, this is, you have to ask the question. Even if it's one like, um, how old was I when I lost my virginity? Let's say that's more of like a round three. Yep. I would ask that question. Everyone has to answer it. And then I have to reveal my answer before anyone else does. Cause I don't want anyone else to change my mind. So I would say I was this age and then everyone's like, Oh, I knew it. Or, you know, and then you get that point. Yes or no. After I've asked that question, then the next person draws a new question from round one. But normally it always is like, what? You were 16 and I was 18. And then it kind of spurs this quick little storytelling session. Oh my God. I definitely, I know that because one of the games I have is a story or I shouldn't say a question answer game, but it definitely turns more into a story game. Yes. And you know, the thing is we didn't want to have, um, we really wanted to keep this based on real life. We wanted, you know, we didn't want like hypothetical because we're like real life is funnier than people think it is. So is it important that you know who I lost my virginity to or what age? No, but odds are there is a story and that story is probably funny, right? Or your first kiss or, you know, I mean, it just stems into this. So we're like, we don't have to try to make this funny. It just is. I completely agree. And so are you writing down your answer or are you just like vocalizing it? And then you receive the point of the person's being honest and like, ha, I knew it. I knew it was this age or whatever. Yeah, no, you are writing on the score sheet. So you would write um, under my name, under the round that I'm asking, you would write, what you think my answer will be. And then I just verbally um, say it out loud. I don't have to write it down as the question asker. But that's why I want to reveal mine first, because I don't want, if you guys reveal yours first, I don't want it to like change my mind. So that's where we have a rule in the game called the bullshit card. So you would throw the bullshit. So if my question was, you know, um, what is my favorite cocktail to drink? And I, everyone writes down my answer and I say, uh, martini. Someone could say bullshit. It is a beer. You have a beer every night. And so then it gives an opportunity for them to like debate whether or not my answer, like, do they know me better than I know myself? You know? So then they get the opportunity to like, nope, I'm stating my case. And then ultimately the question asker says, okay, you're right. I'm going to give you the point because you're, I didn't even think about that or nope, absolutely night. Not maybe I do have a beer every night, but a martini is my favorite drink. I mean, honestly, the pricing and the amount of effort, the beer would come out more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's some solid arguments on that discussion. Yeah. That's so funny. How with you and your friends, did you decide like when this would rank as like a level one, two, three, four, five? Because I know so many questions are very subjective. Yes, because we believe it or not, the question the game is 250 questions. So there's 50 questions in each round. And I can't tell you how many phone conversations we had going over each question and saying, uh, you know, I, I really feel that's more, I mean, summer easy, right? Winter or summer, that's like round one for sure. 
But once you start getting into somebody's like personal life or sex life, you're like, that's definitely a five. So we had the real easy ones to say one or five, but then there was some in between. We're like, well, some people are comfortable and some people aren't, but we just had to make the best guess saying, you know, this is, you know, some of it was like, we need 50 questions. So we have to take (laughs) one out of round three and put it in round two. It was um, really just based on a collective, the four of us going, you know, voting majority rules. No, that's a little more uncomfortable or yeah, that's a little bit easier to answer. So no fine science to that. It really just kind of fell into it. And, you know, we can't make it perfect for everyone. So we just, we didn't hear a lot of that in the play testing. There was some that would be like, oh, no way, this should be in around two. But it wasn't, has, hasn't been too big of a deal. Oh, so you probably got most of it fairly correct in the different levels. Yeah. And we, I mean, we play tests this game, Danielle. I, I can't even tell you how many times that definitely some questions were shifted throughout that play testing. Um, so I think we have it pretty nailed down, but <clears throat> you'll have those that are more comfortable than others to talk about things and then vice versa. Did you find when you're playtesting it, since you're asking the same questions of yourself, which clearly you've answered, that your answers ever changed or were they pretty much the same? Um, pretty much the same. And unless you were playing with someone who was, you know, thinking, no way, I thought that you really liked this band or they were shocked at maybe what your answer was, because I don't think people realize with social media, like what you're putting out there. So when you're given a face-to-face question or a conversation of any topic, you know, people are talking. I don't think people realize what people are picking up on or listening to, or when you're posting something on social media, are people really paying attention to that? You'll find like with different groups, someone knows you a different way than you would know me. So that could spark like, oh, you know what? You're right. The girls that I grew up with, the reason this started was because We've known each other since we were 13 years old. So you think, oh, we know everything about each other. That wasn't the case. So we, because we moved our separate ways, our lives are just different. So they may answer a question differently than my friend who I hang out with all the time who lives next door, you know? Yeah, I guess that's really interesting because you're not wrong. I I had someone, and this is laughable, thought that I made like over 100000 as a game designer. And like I was a new game designer and I just looked at her and I'm like, what makes you think that? And she's like, well, you're always traveling. And I'm just like, "Uh, no, my brother is a flight attendant and I have his buddy pass. So I can fly standby and I just happen to have friends' couches all over the United States. So yeah. then I guess it looks like I'm rich, but definitely not the case. Well, right. And you could actually draw the question, have I ever flown first class? And that person might say, oh, absolutely. Danielle's flying everywhere, you know? And you're like, actually, no, I'm lucky if I get the seat up front, you know? So the funny thing is I have flown first class and that was because of the standby. <laughs> and to make it even more bougie, it was on the way back from Tahiti. Oh, okay, Danielle. All right. <laughs> That's on my bucket list. I'm like, my bucket list item is to fly first class. And I've flown my entire life. I'm like, never. I want to. Well, I've never paid to fly first class. That uh, made me want to throw up when my brother that, told me it would have cost us $2,000 and we yeah, did that it for actually makes like your story taxes. Times better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So from the beginning, did you know that this was going to be like arranging from super simple, like daily questions of a stranger to like the very personal steamy questions? Yeah. The first, when the night we went out and when we came up with this idea, the very first question asked by the friend who was like, let's play this game. I just made it up was what is my twin brother's middle name? And we had a lot of questions like that, just based on us talking because we have a history. But of course, again, as the night went on, we started being like, uh, you know, getting into more of like talking about drinking and, you know, what we got in trouble for, um, sex, all this stuff. So we were like, for us, we were comfortable with that conversation. But what we discovered too is a lot of women do talk about that stuff. And some of them feel like they don't have necessarily the outlet. So if you're given the opportunity to be like, talk about something, maybe you wouldn't. It was very rare that we'd have someone say, I'm not answering that question. So we were just like, this is, this is what women do. We talk about this, whether you're playing a game or not. So why don't we make this a funny, like foray into like a party game that it's not necessarily designed 
just for women, of course, because we've had group of men play and they're almost actually more fun to watch than groups of women. Um, because you're just given an opportunity to talk about something that maybe you wouldn't, but then of course you have, you're, you know, you're talking about yourself, but you are forced to answer a question about somebody else. So it's like full circle. You're put on the spot, but then at the same time, you're having to answer about other people. Yeah. I think that's great because I've definitely noticed women, especially there are certain subjects they feel incredibly uncomfortable talking about until someone kind of leads the charge. And it sounds like your game does that. Yeah. And when we were, um, we had actually pitched friend or foe early on. Like I'm talking, like when I look back at like the actual product that we showed at this pitch event, I like cringe thinking about it, but we had to start somewhere. So when we were pitching it, um, we had a company come over and it was two men and they were like, Oh, this is really interesting seeing women create this game. And I kind of was taken aback. I was like, Oh, why? <laughs> He's like, cause most party games, you know, the ones that have more like, um, personal it's stuff. It's like, yeah, it's he, younger men normally. It's younger. He goes, it's, it's men. And I go, well, if you don't think that women like to talk about sex, drinking drugs, all those things, you're missing your market. <laughs> <laughs> you're missing out on girls night. What do you yeah, think we're exactly. doing when you're in the man cave? Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. But I mean, it's, it's very accurate, but also that's just like women in the industry at all. I feel like there's been a huge upshoot. Like when I posted on the Board Game Broads Plus page, I had a bunch of people reach out, not necessarily for this year, but they're like, if you're going to still do your podcast, like I have a game coming out in this year or this year. And I'm like, that's awesome to hear that we're going to have a lot of new faces. Yeah, it's so true because we, since none of us were in this industry, we were so ignorant to all of it, right? The design, the everyone behind it and the market. And that too, we were like, oh, and then it kind of dawned on me. And then the more I like learned about the industry and I mean, now I'm like thrown in it. I'm like, oh, this, it is, it's a male dominated industry, which is, you know, that's most industries. So (laughs) that part of it wasn't a surprise, but I thought, you know what, when you're allowing other, like you are, you know, having women or people of color or just different cultures, like there's so much that to, that's not getting noticed, you know? And it's still, it's still not easy. It's, you know, when I'm approaching someone and saying, Oh, I have this game called friend or foe. It is a party game. Excuse me. And then it has not like, it doesn't fall in the hobby game market. And then I'm the party game market is kind of that male dominated area too, not all of it, but I was like, Oh, I, I still have to kind of prove that my game is good. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. You yeah. also have the stigma of party games in general. Like when you oh, yeah. try to go to the hobby, it's like, Oh, oh you yeah. make party games like ha 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 oh, laughable. Yeah. I, and I'm just I, like, yeah, but also party games tend to sell more. So if you go against like, if you base it based off of units produced, I'm pretty sure you're like lapping majority of the hobby designers. Well, and the thing that's hard is when I first got into this and I was like, when you look up gaming and you're getting into the industry, I of course was, you know, Oh, you, anytime you research that you kind of, Oh, gaming, you fall into the hobby market. Now that is its own beast, right? Like I, at the same time, you're not going to find me sit down and I'm not a strategy game player. So I'm also not their market. I don't knock it because I, I don't, it's just not my cup of tea, but I've found that I'm like, Oh man, those hobby gamers, they're, they're tough nuts to crack. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I bet if I got so them to sit down and play friend or foe, they'd actually like it. Maybe not. <laughs> oh but- no. Honestly, on the last interview I had with Sydney, she was talking about how her favorite game is just like a speed matching game where you like grab at a totem afterwards because she spends like her entire week working on this like game that takes an hour or two hours to play. And it's just like yeah. she wants that good, dumb fun. And I'm honestly the same way. Like I spend a majority of my week working on games that could thankfully I don't make anything too heavy. Yeah. But I mean, like the thing that I've had to test that took the longest is like four hours per play test. And like that's a lot of time. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, like when I look at those rule books or when I look at the art, I'm like um blown away. I'm amazed. I mean, there's I, you can't say anything like that's not good or you know. And then at the same time, I'm like, oh, here's my party game to eat, whatever. But I'm like, you know what? I honestly, when we created friend or foe, while I wanted to take those questions and make this game, I just wanted to take what me and my friends experienced that night, which we were cracking up. We sat there for four hours and I just wanted to put that in a box and give it to other people. And then that 
it, believe it or not, took two years for a game that only consists of 250 questions because we didn't know what we were doing. We had a lot of process to go through and we just didn't want to be like, oh, we had fun. This is great. And just put it out there. We're like, nope, we're going to do this right. Research, research, researched, play tested, play tested, play tested. We like pitched, we changed the design and then we did a Kickstarter. I mean, we worked our butts off on a game that only consists of 250 questions. So it's not like we just made it that night. And the next day we're like, here it is. It's ready to go. It, believe it or not, that was not the case. Oh no. It sounds like you did all the right things. So in that process, what were the resources that you gravitated towards as a newbie just to like learn the industry and jump in? So I read all the things and I listened to podcasts and books and articles. I got into um, ShyTag, which is now called People of Play. And um, I would follow their newsletters. I'd reach out to people in the industry just asking for advice. I'd, you know, read about other companies and their games and their process. And I took all the notes and just wanted to make sure I was respecting just the process, even though it is for party games. I just really wanted it to seem like, you know, we did the work. You know, I, I know names in the industry now and, you know, I try to listen and learn as much as I can to soak it in. Cause it's not like I went to school for design or yeah. there, there's a, you know, there's classes now, like the toy creators Academy and the Jell Wade teaches is a really good one. If you're wanting to learn the basics about like entering into game and toy design. Um, there's other ones that are offered, which are more courses, but they're, you know, when you're getting into this industry, you know, Danielle, like you, it's easy to spend and lose money that you don't have to. So oh, if yeah. you can, learn the basics to try to avoid some of those pitfalls. Like we spent money on some of the design process that in hindsight, we're like, oh my gosh, that was, you know, live and learn unnecessary prototyping. You can start with just a card written in Sharpie, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's really helpful because you have this idea and you think it's great. That's great. But even in our playtesting, we really changed a lot of things. Like the core of the game stayed the same, but like through our playtesting, we discovered, oh, let's break this up in rounds. Let's not make this point system too hard. Let's add the bullshit card because that was from somebody actually playing when they were playtesting. She just threw a neck and she's like, bullshit. And so, and then we were like, ding, Love ding, it. ding. Yeah. So you're like, write it down. And with that being said, you'll play test and people are giving you advice because they just, people want to be a part of it. <laughs> and you just have to go, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then you know you're not going to use it, but you still should listen. And then, you know, you have to like give and take what people are giving as their opinion. So I think that's great though. As a new inventor, you didn't just go like, oh, yeah, that's right from every bit of feedback because that has been an issue with a lot of like newer designers or inventors when they're playtesting. They're like, oh, yeah, that seems like a great idea. And then their design just kind of falls off the rails and takes weird directions it shouldn't have because like you yeah. have to learn through practicing that not every suggestion is gold. Even if you do talk to someone who's like a seasoned professional, like just because they think it, should be one way doesn't mean that's the way it should be. Cause like you from the beginning said that you had an amazing night and that's kind of what you set as like your blueprints for this game that ended up becoming very successful. Right. And you know, when you're play testing, you, if you kind of hear the same thing every time you're play testing, that's something you should pay attention to. If it's just a one-time note, maybe it, it actually will spark something. Like when the girl said bullshit, she wasn't even trying to give us <laughs> It was just her natural reaction to an answer. And, you know, but if a question, like, let's say we have a question in there and people are like, this question is dumb. You know what I mean? They, you know, when we started, yeah. kind of, then we like take it out, you know, or sometimes people are like, oh, you know, it'd be a really good question. And then we'd just write it down. So we tried to really like let people play. You sit back, you take notes, you videotape it, you, you know, pick and choose what you want. And at the end, you know, you ask your questions and you know, no, yes or no's. You really want people to kind of give you some really good feedback, but you, you're not asking for them to necessarily be the, an extra designer in your game. Oh, for sure. So per round or like per level, how many questions are being asked? Is it like one per player or is there like a stack of a certain number? It's one per player. So each person asks one question from round one. And then when it gets back to them, you move on to round two and then so forth until you get to round five. So once everybody has asked one question from each round and that's how it's laid out on the score sheet, the game will be done. And then you total up your points. 
Okay, very cool. I like that. It's very simple and intuitive. Yes. And so how did you end up getting it published with Goliath? So when we went to Shytav, which offered in, at the time an in-person um, pitch event, we basically, you, you go, you set up your little table, you set up your game and you had two minutes and any publisher or anyone in the industry could walk around and you pitch your product. And when we were there, we had made some connections we got really good feedback. We had made connections with a couple of different companies who were interested in possibly licensing the game as well. But we had taken some feedback after leaving and totally revamped the game, like completely made changes to the look. And even though we had made connections with these companies, we thought, you know, maybe we should try a Kickstarter just to see what um, the feedback is, can we, you know, meet a goal if there, if then it gives us more leverage going into these meetings with these companies. So we launched a Kickstarter and we were successful, but not without a lot of work because a Kickstarter is no joke. I was going to say, I hate it. <laughs> so I, I don't, my God, I don't know if I could do it again. Uh, we did a higher um, goal. So we set our goal at $25,000 because we had somebody in the industry who's a successful game maker. She said, you know, for your first time, She's like, I would recommend using a publisher in the States because you're learning so much when you add a company, like a manufacturer out of the country, you're dealing with time changes, language barriers, all, you know, a lot of stuff. So we were like, okay, we'll do it in the States. Oh man, but it's so much more expensive. Oh my, yes, $25,000. We were, (laughs) like they called a campaign, like for a reason, because you're working. Because, you know, you have those diamonds in the rough that just take off, like, you know, exploding kittens. They had the, you know, the illustrator of the oatmeal on the back yeah. of them, you know, they had so much going into it, you know, and then you have like cards against humanity. That was just, they needed, I think their goal was five or $10,000 and they were the, probably one of the first real party games to be on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in games in general on Kickstarter, it's huge in hobby. So I know it's so hard to compete as a party it game or like so a light kids game because I made the mistake when I first entered of doing a Kickstarter with my first design nut stash and it was this like cutesy little like kids game and definitely not the vibe for Kickstarter. No. So we were like, okay, let's put it on there. And we definitely got a little traction from people we didn't know, but we were like, okay, nope. We were calling people from every facet of our lives. <laughs> And we were posting every day. We were talking it up. And so we we made it. So that was exciting. And so um, we went back to the companies that we were pitching to. And in the meantime, somebody at, I want to say Fred Meyer, there was a connection. And they said, you know, you should get in touch with this person at Goliath. And Goliath was starting their games adults play line. Really, the star is like a line. So they needed party games. We wanted to be licensed. We had just finished a Kickstarter. Um, and we sent them a copy of the game. We were still talking to these other two companies. They really wanted, the other two companies really wanted to make sure like it would get into mass market. So would Target take it? And Yeah, they wanted to set up <laughs> meetings with the reps. Yeah, and we just didn't know. Well, Goliath was like, we need games where our games adults play line. We sent them our copy. They played it. They really liked it. So we were like, we're going to go with Goliath. And it was, you know, so there's a little luck there. We had, you know, the Kickstarter, which was successful. We had put into the work into the game. They had to do zero artwork on there. They kept everything the same. They adjusted some of the things in the questions, not much. So they didn't have to do a lot of work. And then typically when you pitch to a company, sometimes you they may change the name of your game. They may change the look. So we had like leverage there that we didn't have to do. So we were able to put that into our like royalty. Um, you know, we were like mapping out how much we should yeah. get. And then, um, so really a lot, you know, that a lot of that just was perfect timing. With that being said, we realized like after we got it licensed and, you know, my friends are like, oh, that was really fun. I was oh, oh, we got to see it on the shelves of Target. This is really cool. My friends are like, okay, now we're getting back to our lives. I was like, it by the bug. I was like, I oh, really no. like <laughs> I was like, I really liked it. And I was like, I'm a creative person in general. I was like, I have a lot kind of it just tapped a little something in me. So that's kind of how I continue to bray on my own to create more games. But um yeah, so 
really that's how this whole process started. But I realized after getting into Goliath how it that's not as easy as it sounds. So really there's like, I don't know how it is in the hobby market, but it's like a 3% chance to get your game license. And I was like, oh, oh, so this is harder than I thought. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I always <laughs> say that I'm a master of being rejected because oh, like, yeah. my friends will just like sit down and witness me getting like a play tester and then feedback and how like aggressive some play testers can be. And I'm just like, you know, I would have quit a long time ago if this bothered me. Like I just jot down the notes and I take it or like if a publisher's just straight up like, not for me, like you just say one word, like one mechanic they're not into like real time. They're like, not for me. And they'll just get up, move on. Like during a speed pitching event, you just, you don't take it personally. Oh, you cannot. And it's so true. You know, you hear no a lot more than you hear yes. I've lucked out not having anyone be terribly too harsh. I mean, I've had a couple instances where I'm like, okay, (laughs) but most I'm like, I I really, I don't know if this is the same for you, Danielle, but like when I hear a no, it's more of like a fuel to my fire. So why did I get a no versus like, yes, this isn't good. I'm like, nope. What do I need to change? Why didn't they like it? Do I need to take this personally? Or is it really just not what they're looking for? And that's okay. Because if it's not what they're looking for, somebody else might be, um, but I also believe that's kind of why there's so many tiny little publishing houses. So it's why I realized like, you know, maybe I need to do this on my own. Maybe that's what I need to try. So I say like, you know, I kept getting no's from pitching to these bigger companies who are getting thousands of pitches in a year. I was like, I'm just going to give myself the yes. And I'm going to self-publish my next couple of games that I felt comfortable in making that decision. So that's kind of how I ended up being my own little company, which was EAP toy and games. So, you know, do I still pitch? Absolutely. But I also am like, you know what, I'm going to test this market a little bit further and see how, how I can do this on my own as well. Honestly, you learned a lot from working in different aspects of the industry. I know I have, like, I've worked manufacturing, I've done social media, I've done design development, like you name it, I probably touched it. Yeah. It's in, you go from like the design per aspect of it, the creator, and then all of a sudden you're finding yourself as like an entrepreneur where I'm at right now. And then you have to step back from being that creative person to focus on the business side of it, which for most creative people is not fun, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You learn so much more about like the manufacturing side and the social media. And it's just, there's there's a lot. And when you license a game, you license a game, it's out of your hands and it's done. So there's something to be said about that. It's really easy, but it's only easy if you get licensed, if that makes sense. Oh, I can also say on the hobby side, totally depends on the publisher you're working with because you might get a game signed, but if they're a smaller publisher, you might end up working on all the development, which, you know, is just like continuing on. It's not something you're like paid hourly for versus like a bigger one where they'll take it. They'll have their own development team do what they do. Sometimes you get an input, sometimes you don't. So it's like this whole umbrella of when you're figuring out which uh, publisher to go with, you got to like know what their process is because... Some people like Elizabeth Hargrave is very much a hands-on creator, wants to be a part of the development where other people like me who commits to way too many things is like, you know, I feel confident in someone developing my game further as long as I get like a say and I get to pop in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And Elizabeth Hargrave, she, is she Wingspan? Yes. Yes. And you know, it when you go into these, like when you're pitching, there are those people who are want to have full control of everything, right? It's in fact, with friend or foe, we kind of were like, oh, you want to change the question to that? You know, there, there was a little bit of like, okay, we just have to trust that you're making the right decision because you're a large company for a reason, right? <laughs> so you've got to be oh, able sure. to be like, oh, do you want to be able to have that? Give a little bit of control away. But when we did it, we were able to put into our contract. We wanted to have like, we could, they weren't allowed to change things without our feedback. You know what I mean? You, you can work those things into your contract um, now that was just our experience with Goliath. I don't know how other companies would be because some might say, nope, absolutely not. You're signing us over to us. It's us, you know? Yeah, it's it's really based on which publisher you're going with. Yeah. But it's funny that you guys had a few questions changed because when I worked on my game, No Filter, it's a question game. And I came up with like 
over 200 questions or whatever, but a lot of them got kicked out because this was supposed to be very much family friendly. And just because I think a question is family friendly, they're like, yeah, but you could take it dirty. I'm like, yeah, but if you have a dirty mind, you can make literally any question dirty. Like oh, the yeah. summer versus winter. I could be like, yeah, I like summer because I get to see people in their swimsuits. Like yeah. I could be that person. <laughs> like you can take anything and make it dirty, which oh was really gosh, funny. Sure. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So when I play the game, I know which ones I actually created and like which ones I was like, yeah, that was like a development thing that they changed. Well, and here, so normally, I'm glad you brought that up because normally games start as just a family game and then they always almost make a dirty version. So what we did is we created a dirty version first. And then when we were play testing and then actually selling, we kept we so many requests do you have, I can't play this with my family. We can only play rounds one through three with our kids. We really want a family version. So then we started working on the family version. We're like, okay. And what we realized in the family version play testing was like, oh my gosh, this is actually really good. Like we were like, this might be better than the dirty version. And we were playing with groups of like teenagers, with siblings, with kids that were older, kids that were younger, moms, dad, grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors. We were everybody. We realized, okay, our market is bigger because now we're not saying only 18 and up. And we were like, we, we have to do this. And we were like saying to Goliath, okay, we want to do this family version. It was in our contract. When we re-signed our contract, we were like, I don't know, this one might do better. Let's, let's have them take it out. So we have them, we had them take out the family version when we resigned, but then we were like, you know, family friend or foe family, it didn't really translate to like, put it on a shelf and have it like pop out yeah. to little kids. We we're like, let's revamp it. Let's totally change it. So we did. So we called it YooHoo and we changed the bullshit card to a squishy baloney that you toss and you say it's your full of baloney. Um, Love it. Yeah. And so as we were playtesting, we realized like, oh my gosh, this is like our teenage secret weapon. And I, I'm a mom. I have a 14 year old son and a 10 year old son. So I get what that means personally. But when we were play testing, we were seeing like kids, you know, inherently kids are selfish and I don't say that in a bad way. They just are. But when they were playing, they were asking, you know, when you put the power of the question into the kid's hand, like if someone just comes in and you say, who's the funniest person in our family, they're a little bit like, taken back. Like, why are you asking me this? Why am I being subjected to this question? Yeah. But when they think they're playing a game and you put the power of the question into their hands, they are fine to ask it because they're asking it about themselves and everyone has to answer a question about them. But then the tables are turned because then they have to answer a question about their little brother or their grandma. And we were like, you know what? Teenagers really do want to talk. They just want to do it on their own terms. And they're so, especially this generation, they put everything out there on social media, but it's like, again, to my point earlier, is anyone paying attention? Are kids picking up on stuff that someone else is saying? And you would be surprised at how much kids actually are listening to or not listening to or surprised at, oh my gosh, wait, my mom was in the Girl Scouts. I didn't know that because kids, they don't think to ask. So at the end of the playtesting session, we were finding that anyone over the age of like 12, 13 were saying, Oh, you who's it's so fun. That's my favorite. And I was like, but that's really interesting. You know, it's a question based game, but again, based on real life, they get to talk about themselves, but then of course, then they have to talk about somebody else or learn something else. So while they think they're playing a game, any adult is like realizing like, Oh, these kids are actually expressing stuff. The other thing is, kids change their minds every day. So if the color, if the question is, what's my favorite color, I can guarantee you that my son's is going to be green today, but tomorrow it will probably be blue. So there's always like a chance to relearn. Or if I'm playing as a 44 year old woman with my dad, and I said, who was my childhood best friend, who is still my best friend to this day, odds are my dad will not know her name, you know? So so funny. Yeah. Such (laughs) a dad move. Such a dad move. So, you know, we were just we didn't want to make it kumbaya either. We, we still have round one through round five, but you know, the questions are still simple in round one, but round five may say who in my family gets the most mad or what is one rule in my family? I'd like to change, you know, there's a little bit more personal, of course, nothing raunchy, you know, the family version, but we were, again, let's keep this real life. Let's, you know, like, let's keep this funny, but let's not make it 
we don't want a kid to think they're sitting there in a therapy session. We want them to feel like they're playing a game and have fun. And that's what the family version did. So we were like, you know, kind of the opposite. We didn't take a clean game and make it dirty. We took a dirty game and made it clean. And we think that like it has total legs to really be successful. So when we were showing it at, um, we went to Astra marketplace a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It was like, had such good, like people were really liking it. They liked the baloney house spec and people brought their kids to the show, like buyers and they were loving it. And I had a dad and the kids say, Hey, can we play more? Can we play? I was like, go for it. And this is a son and his dad. I'm like, I knew it, you know? So I think people want to be like, you know, Oh, it's a question game. Oh, it's, you know, I'm like, no, try it. I'm telling you this will get your teenager to talk without even realizing he's talking. See, yeah, we we play my game at like family events, like reunions or just like holidays in general. Or sometimes I've even had uh, like first dates pull it out. And I'm just yeah. like, all right, we're going to learn some things about each other. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but it's like so fun, like especially when you play with your parents because you see them in a specific role. And I will say as like growing up as an adult or like becoming an adult, like me and my mom are more like best friends versus yeah. like mother, daughter. Of course, you do like go back into those roles at times. Yeah. But like I learned that my dad, uh, so to avoid driving and drink, like drinking and driving, what he instead decided was the better route was like during winter when a uh, lake was mostly frozen over to take a uh, Budweiser kayak with him and his buddy (laughs) kayak across a frozen (laughs) lake to the bar and back. But like a lot of the lake was still frozen. So they also used the paddles to break apart the ice. And like that felt like the smarter decision. I mean, yes, they didn't drunk drive, but like that's ridiculous. I it's so good. <laughs> I know. And it's like, I would have never heard that story had we not played my game. It oh just made gosh, me laugh. Awesome. Yeah. We had um, a question where my mom was playing when we were like early phases of the playtesting and I drew the card. What scar do I have? Or do I have any scars? And my mom's answer was that I had a C-section scar. And I go, mom, I have both my... <laughs> No, I did not have C-sections. In fact, my mom was in the room for both births. So I was like, mom, you were there. Like, are you, you know, she's five kids. So I'm like, oh, funny. She's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I'm like, yeah, no, not, no C-section. Like, I do have an emotional scar from you that now. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's made that joke either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's like, you know, you who is just like a product of, friend or foe, which has been like such like a fun thing to work on and see. And, you know, but again, like other games in the works and, you know, like still pitching. And I, my other one called the lunchroom, which you mentioned in the intro is, um, just a fun, really very light strategy, um, game that is for families eight and up. And it's based off of, you know, wanting to be the first to fill out your lunch tray and you have to have a food fight with a tater tot. And that comes from, you know, everyone went to school. We all get that. The art is amazing. It really draws to like, you know, your reaction to like a teenager doodling and detention. And there's like, you don't have a game board. You have like a little plastic lunch tray that you're filling and each player gets one. Um, And I spent a year when I was, my kids were a little bit younger. I wanted to work. So I worked at a school, but I didn't want to work in the classroom. And I had worked in restaurants my whole life. So I was a lunch lady. So after I was a lunch lady for a year, I was like, I think I have a game idea here. (laughs) So then I took all that information and like turned it into this really fun, like as light strategy, luck, anticipation of the little food fight card. And it's really fun. That's so cute. I, early in my design career, decided to try to make a lunch game too, except with like allergies and preferences and stuff, because like (laughs) every kid now has that. And I just like, it's one of those ones that sadly, it kind of like died on the vine. Like it's one that I shelved a while back, but that makes me want to like try it again. Yeah. I I think I call it like what's for lunch or something. (laughs) That's actually really funny. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea behind it. Oh, and isn't it funny? Like how you get like inspiration just from something as silly as kids. Every kid has an allergy. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I'm working on a game called Froyo that's based off my first job I had, which was working at TCBY Yogurt. <laughs> so I worked at TCBY Yogurt too when I was in college. Oh, no way. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. My dad owned it. So, you know, I worked amazing. there for quite too many years. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's perfect. Yeah. I know. I mean, we have, um, I like, ideas come from everywhere and I'll start with a concept and then I'll like be so excited about it. And then once you kind of really start writing it down, you're like, okay, I think I, I, I need to shelf this one for a while. <laughs> come back to it. Yeah. For me, it's always hard to like pair mechanics. Cause I can come up with ideas for days, but mechanics that are going to work with it yeah. takes a little longer sometimes. And that's yeah. why I like working with co-designers or developers or whatever. Cause they're really good at being like, okay, Danielle, this sounds great, but like, how are we going to actually do it? <laughs> Oh, I know. Cause you don't want to just like become a victim of slapping a theme onto a game that's already out there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you're, because I'm not in like that hobby game where, you know, luck is really not the key element. Um, it's hard to not get trapped into the same mechanics. Oh so, yeah. You definitely need to learn to innovate. Yes. And you have to like, you know, really research what's out there too like we had I thought what I came up with was like oh brilliant idea randomly it like popped up in an article that it 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 kind of already exists it's a little bit different play but I was like oh it's too similar I'm like oh so you have to like also go into when you like creating games odds are there's something out there that's either the same or very similar and you just have to do a deep dive research very true. Yeah, I know. During a lot of my playtests, I tend to ask people like, hey, what games does this remind you of? Because that's how I've been told like, oh, there's actually a game that's very similar or whatever. And it's good to know, honestly. Yeah, before you get too far into it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, okay, for the original game, the friend or foe, you said from like inspiration to publication and being out and about, it was about two years? Yep. So in 2016, we kind of, we, yep concept and then 2017 we were at shy tag and then by 2000 end of 2018 we were licensed with goliath awesome and then for your favorite and least favorite part of that experience what would they be well my favorite is being able to say that i created a game that with friends that i grew up with and then we got to see something that came out of just a night of us enjoying each other's company and then seeing that on shelf was pretty amazing and we got to work on it together we spent two years like you know being on the phone and you know that while that process was difficult because we didn't get to do it in the room or whatever it just the experience of designing that game from start to finish was just really great um the most negative i would say is like learning the mistakes so you know spending money you didn't have to spend or um, gosh. I mean, that is a good tip. I know that all of my earlier designs, the artwork is like gorgeous. And it's not that I spent money cause I did it myself, but I spent a crap ton of time on it, which yeah. was unnecessary. <laughs> right. And we, because, so I, I'm, you know, take your strengths. Everyone had their strength. And like, I was really good at, um, you know, working on it and getting it done. And, you know, one girl was really good at like dotting the I's and crossing the T's. The other one was really good with the business aspect of it. You know, there was just every, take everyone's strengths and put that into the concept. I can draw, but I, I would not call myself a professional where I would put my work onto my product. So we have to outsource. And when you're outsourcing, sometimes going the cheaper route, you know, it's like buy nice or pay twice. Right. So don't just think because somebody's going to um, hook you up with price. Well, then you're not their priority. So that's really hard. We tried to use people we knew to um, who weren't in the industry. That actually was kind of a negative because then you're you're not their priority, right? So, but, but they're giving you a cost break. You kind of have to be flexible with that. So that's a little frustrating. Um, so I, you know, as I've gone forward, I'm like, I'm not, no, I'm not doing that again, unless this person is making me a priority and they're in this industry. So they understand. (laughs) So I learned to like vet who I'm using when I'm outsourcing, like an illustrator or box designer to 
yeah, really take my time and say, okay, this person might cost a little bit more, but it, in the end, it's just, it's, it's so much worth it because we, like I said, we had three different versions of friend or foe that we didn't necessarily need to have, but it was a part of our process, right? You learn from your mistakes. And so I would, I'd, so I'd say, don't always go the cheaper route. Don't spend too much because you don't need to invest too much in that first process, but really think about what you're spending your money on and where you put your dollars. Yeah, honestly, I mean, that sounds like a great uh, piece of advice. Would you say like from the inventor standpoint, that would like, what would be your advice for that side? So we got some advice that I tell everyone at, when we were at Shytag pitching Predator Foe, we had, uh, he was, he's in the industry and he said, you know what, when you're play testing, he's like, everyone's going to tell you your baby is pretty. He goes, what you want to hear is I want to play it again. And that cannot be more true because if you show it to your family, you show it to your friends, you know, they don't want to hurt your feelings. Maybe they're You have the group of family in your, or people in your life that are honest, but if you're play testing and you're play testing out of your circle or even play testing with your family, if you hear, I want to play it again, that is like gold because if they're just like, Oh, it's good. Thank God. Oh, it's, it's cute. It's nice. It's fun that doesn't do much for you. Right. <laughs> so if you have a kid say, yeah. I want to play it again, then you're like, I have something here. Right. And that doesn't happen with every game. It doesn't happen maybe after your first play testing session. But if you hear that, that's something to run with because that's what you want is repeatable play value. You know, companies are looking for that too. That's what I like heard from other people like, Oh, well, they'll say, yeah, but will people play this again? From my perspective, I just need to sell you the game once. Like I own monopoly, but I haven't played monopoly in years, you know, but they're they're still selling millions of copies. (laughs) So, you know, but if I'm play testing a game and a kid is like, Oh, this game was really fun. And then they tell, you know, you just, that's really what you want to hear. You don't want to hear, Oh, I liked it. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of things I like, but I don't really necessarily have to have them again. So, um, that was a really good piece of advice that we got from somebody in the industry. And I always tell people going forward, like, just listen for that. Cause we're in the market for giving a good time. It's not like I'm don't do educational games. So, you know, when you're playing a game that people are wanting to learn something or if it's, that's not my market, I have to look for, I want to play it again. Cause I'm hopefully giving this group of people a good time. Oh yeah, for sure. And then as just like a last question, as far as like being an inventor on the more mass market side, what conventions do you tend to go to versus like anyone who's on the hobby side? So my very first one was the people of play formerly called shy tag. Um, and then of course, within the last two years, everything has been online, but now conventions are just starting to open up again. So I went to my first in-person one with my game since they're going to be available to the Astro marketplace, which is the American specialty toy retailing association. So more mom and pop toy stores that have maybe one store up to seven stores. Um, there's, I, of course the New York toy fair, which is a, like a huge monster. What I would maybe compare that to what in the hobby game, Gen Con maybe. Yeah. Um, so I have not personally done a hobby convention, although my distributors are really, that's their, they really, the meat of their company is hobby games. Um, so I don't know. I may end up at one just to test that market and see if I can switch the minds. <laughs> so funny. Well, if you end up at any of them, let me know. <laughs> oh my gosh, for sure. Do you go to a mall, Daniel? Uh, yeah, honestly, if you watch my social media, I feel like I'm at every convention. Yeah, like, I've seen that. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. This year I was at PAX East. I will be at PAX Unplugged. I will be at Gen Con. I was just at Origins. I went to PaizoCon for the first time, which is in Seattle. But um, yeah, I also, I used to volunteer for people to play. So I'm hoping to go there because I do like help out a little with the like young inventor challenge. My friend is the director of that. So it's like, and I used to live in Chicago. So that used to be like a one of the more mass market conventions I'd go to, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to hit as many as I can for you, both work. Do you go reasons. for, yeah, I was going to say, do you go for just checking things out or do you show your games? What do you, 
Uh, everything, all of the above. I, okay. because I'm a part of so many different things. So like I'm on the board for Unpub. So I go to like a lot of conventions to like help with Unpub, which is where we will host like speed pitching events, similar to what you described. We also do like, if you are play test, like play testing games, like that's a place to go to like get play testers, which is really cool. And then like, I'm a part of tabletop like gamers. And so they have a booth where they pass out the little like rainbow ribbons you can see that say like gamer or ally or the little pronoun ribbon so it's like i do that it's a nonprofit, and then also for my job at forever stoke creative i was pitching games and just like helping like run booths and stuff and i'm also gonna probably check it out for underdog games too so it's like i do too many things and yeah. go to too many places is what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yes i do it is funny though because everyone always asks they're like so what are you here with and i'm just like well long answer also my podcast like helps me get in uh with a media badge because like honestly just paying your way in gets hard you kind of have to work for people when you don't have a lot of money so yeah not, once again you don't make over a hundred thousand doing game design <laughs> i was gonna say danielle yeah if you, when you start making over a hundred thousand dollars let me know the secret <laughs> oh i will don't worry there will be many blog posts <laughs> but you know what to the, you like to your credit that's pretty amazing because it really is when you're stepping into this industry as a i can only speak as a female um it's intimidating you know like i once saw like a a post somewhere that's like how to treat women at um, gaming conventions and my response was like as a person like <laughs> you don't oh it's a thing you just, yeah you don't have no. to give us flowers we just we want to be there just as much as you are and maybe your game is not you know our game is not interesting to you or you know right back at me we still want to be there we're like we like games we want to you know show you our stuff and treat us just the same as you would as the guy next to you, you know? <laughs> oh my God, for sure. No, I've been on like panels and like on podcasts and stuff, just talking about like how to enter the industry. And it's like, it's super intimidating, but especially as a woman, cause you, like I, I showed up to some random like game meetup places off the like meetup app just to like learn games when I first got in. And I immediately got judged for being a girl. They just assumed I couldn't play any like hardcore strategy games. And it's just like, it's not great. It's a lot better, I would say, on the design side. People are more willing to like help you out, introduce you to people. But like as a girl, especially, it's quite intimidating. And I just kind of like jumped in and said yes to so many things. I entered in the industry full time fairly quickly, but most people don't have the time I have. Like I'm single and I don't have kids. Yeah. I have a lot more free time than most. But still, like having that presence there for anyone who is getting into, especially into that, I can imagine in the hobby industry is really. It, you know, hard for a woman who wants to be in that market. So good on you for popping us out. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> try my best, try my yeah. best. But hey, I'm seeing a change. That's awesome. Like as long as we just keep helping each other out, I think we'll see a lot more new faces in the future. I agree. So ladies, get out there. Do your oh, thing. for sure. 100%. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, then Chrissy, for my last question of the podcast, what if you could choose like your favorite game and you've like magically made a deal with the devil or something and like you're now the designer of it, what game would it be? Oh gosh. Um, okay, this is a silly game, but it makes me laugh. I have two that make me laugh every time I play it. Is um, Happy Salmon and Utter Nonsense. They're just two silly party games, but they are hilarious. And you can play them with kids. You can play them with just adults. I just like anything that makes me laugh. So simple, fast, can take anywhere. Love it. I do love the happy salmon container. Granted, I think Exploding Kittens now has it. And yeah, it looks different. It's like in the yep. oatmeal version now. Yep. So they they now license that and they are totally revamped it, which I'm like thankful. I'm cause I actually got, when I went to shy tag, that's when happy salmon just came out. So we bought it at that convention and I brought it back and we were just dying. It's so funny when you're playing it, just seeing people like try to do it. Um, so I'm glad I have, you know, an OG version of that game, but yeah, exploding kittens, I'm sure we'll put their magic on it and find a whole new market. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it definitely has the look of it. I will say yeah. that the like fabric bag looks a lot better on the OG version. <laughs> yep. It is so funny when you have all that old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, those sound like great games. I mean, honestly, if anyone hasn't played them, I would suggest checking them out because they are both very fun. Yes, for sure. Oh, 
Awesome. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, episode 43, Friend or Foe. And thanks again, Chrissy, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you or your company, where can you be reached online? I You can find me on TikTok at EAP Toy and Games, as well as Instagram. And my website is eaptoyandgames.com. And I'm happy for anyone who wants to reach out. I can offer any advice that I that may be helpful. Please, happy to do it. That's awesome. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can check out my Instagram and my Twitter under the username TokenGamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. But hey, thanks, Chrissy. This was super fun. And also, you were the last interview of season two. So my next episode is going to just do a recap, but thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Danielle. This is really fun to talk to you. Oh, yeah, honestly, same. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.